Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. With all of the topics on our screens right now that are dominating our attention, it's easy to feel like we're alone in believing differently than many of the loudest voices that are out there. In fact, we are supposedly living in the freest time in all of history. So why is it that we often feel that there are so many things and people telling us what we can and cannot do, what we can and cannot say, where we can and cannot go, who we can or who we should not affiliate with, where our allegiances should lie. Today, I want to share with you an aspect of how to walk in true freedom or real freedom, as we like to say around here, and it's found at the very end of the list of the Beatitudes. And we're going to skip over this week the the peacemakers. We're going to go right to the last two of the Beatitudes. I'm going to share them over this week and next week. And what I want to have us look at and focus on today is the freedom that we find in Jesus. The freedom that is not free for us. It costs a lot. It costs us our Savior's life, but it also costs us individually our own personal sacrifice. We have to lay down some agenda. We have to lay down some attitudes. We have to lay down some things in order to walk in freedom. Matthew chapter 5 is where our text is, where we've been the last several weeks. And I just want to pick up in verse 10, Matthew 5, verse 10. Hear Jesus' words. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Everybody say persecuted. We're going to define that in just a minute, but you probably have an idea in mind of what persecution looks like or feels like. But look at what Jesus says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Somebody say my sake. That's his sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me just define the word blessed. This is how every beatitude begins And it is the synopsis and the meaning of what every beatitude is all about. Blessed is to be incredibly fortunate, to be favored, or godlike. To be blessed is that you are incredibly fortunate. Now, I look around the room today, and I think that many of us could could say we have been very, very fortunate. That we have in our lives reaped better than what we deserve, right? That we are favored. God loves us. God has favored us. God has given to us an opportunity to live in the greatest of nations the history of the world has ever known. We are favored. But lastly, and I think most appropriately for this text, the word blessed means godlike. When you activate these principles in your life, here's what Jesus is saying, all these nine beatitudes, when you operate like this, then you are acting like God. You know, they say that imitation is the highest form of flattery. When you imitate someone, Paul the Apostle said it like this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. 
And, and, and there's entire comedy routines and people who have made a great living on just mimicking or imitating or doing impressions of someone else. Now, the person that is, is being poked fun at may not feel like that's the greatest thing, especially these celebrities, the high-profile people, someone kind of makes fun or mimics. But they say that imitation is the highest form of flattery. So if we are going to imitate anyone, shouldn't it be appropriate that we imitate God? That we be like Jesus? So Jesus is saying you are God-like when you encounter these things in your life or when you go through these certain steps or these processes. Now, it goes on to talk about persecution for righteousness sake and for Jesus sake. And then Jesus puts these words at the end of this beatitude, which just kind of, they confound me a little bit. He said, rejoice when this happens for great is your reward in heaven. Now, I can think of a lot of occasions in life to rejoice over. One I don't think of at top of my mind to rejoice over is persecution. I mean, when I'm persecuted, what I usually want to do is less, when I get lashed at, I want to lash back. When I get put down, I want to spin it and put down in return. When I get cheated, I want to get even. I want to get my pound of flesh for the ounce of disappointment. And Jesus says that when we are persecuted, we should rejoice. Now, how is that? Well, that is like God. That is being God-like. We even uh, many times will, will justify our actions at getting even or settling the score, evening the playing field by going and digging back into Scripture, right? We'll find something in Scripture to justify our actions. We'll say things like, well, I know that I might be persecuted, but I'm going to fight with every ounce and every bone in me this persecution. I'm going to push back on this persecution because after all, ancient Israel fought all of the enemies until they walked into their promised land. Like we feel good about that. Or we will say something like, you know, Jesus even overturned the tables in the temple. So it was okay for Jesus to settle the score. It was okay for Jesus to get even, right? We'll, we'll use proof text for things like that. However, you and I, if we're going to observe this, are under a new command, a new covenant. You'll often hear Jesus say these words, a new commandment I give to you. What is he saying? There was something that was established that was older. There's something that is DNA wired inside of you to lash back, to get even, to make sure that no one maneuvers around you. That is hardwired. But Jesus said, I have a new commandment. And then he goes on and says something like this. You have heard it said, where? In the old law. You have heard it said in the Old Testament. You have heard it said by the prophets, going back to ancient Israel, old covenant. But I say unto you. Okay, so now there is this shift. There is this change. And when we are suppressed, when we are persecuted, when we are put down, we don't often want to go to the new covenant we want to go to the old covenant. Why? Because it justifies our actions of retaliation. But the new covenant says something like this. If someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Offer them an opportunity to just go ahead and get both of them. If someone compels you to go a mile, then just go the extra mile. You've heard the saying, go the extra mile. That's Bible. Go to. See, in, in Roman 
uh, culture of this day when this is written, it was completely legal for a Roman centurion, for someone in the Roman uh, law enforcement, to compel a Jewish citizen to take their their heavy bag or their garments or anything that they were carrying. And you could compel, if you were in the government, you could compel a citizen or an outsider to walk one mile with your heavy load. You couldn't compel them any more than a mile, but it was lawful to do one mile. And here's what Jesus said, go the extra mile. If they compel you to go one mile, go two. And in so doing, they're going to say, what is wrong with these anti-cultural people? What is wrong? Why are these people so different than the world? Usually, if I compel someone to go a mile, they'll take one step less than a mile, drop the bag as is to say, gotcha. But that's not what Christ followers do, are they? Christ followers not only go the mile and joyfully suffer under that persecution, they go the extra mile mile. Now that being said, let me just caveat something here that just because we're giving up on getting even, just because we're leaving the retaliation to God, just because we understand persecution is part of the Christian walk does not mean that we should remain in an abusive relationship, okay? You should not remain being a doormat for someone to walk all over you because then you have no dignity, then you have no self-worth. But these virtues of the Beatitudes, these nine that we've been covering, of all of them, this concept of joyful under persecution comes at the very end. So what does that telegraph to us? It shows us that these instructions or this promise, there is a promise here, this promise is to those whom Christ's likeness is already being formed on the inside. Meekness and gentleness and kindness and joy. It's like the fruits of the Spirit. These things are already being developed in your life. On the inside of you, there's already activated this change. And so you should expect, you should anticipate that there will come some persecution. People of darkness shun the light. Things of darkness shun the light. We should not be ever mad and angry with people. It is the darkness that is motivating actions and activities. We shouldn't uh, try and, and, and set up our own government or way to overthrow the secular system. We should instead be bearers, image bearers of God and light shiners. We should be salt and light, exposing the darkness for what it is. After all, Jesus, our example, it says that when he was reviled at the cross, what did he do? He reviled not back in kind. Jesus, when persecuted to the point of death, could have called 12 legions of angels to rescue him off that cross, but what did he do? He stretched his arms wide and gave up the ghost. He died on the cross so that he might rise from the dead and that by his resurrection, you and I can partake and share in newness of life. That's awfully good news. Somebody say amen. Now, what I want you to see here is that there is a promise to those who are persecuted with a cause. It says you are blessed and godlike when you are persecuted for righteousness sake or for his sake. 
Now, it does not have any promise associated with suffering persecution for your own foolishness and bad actions or bad choices. Please understand, there's some things you're going to get yourself into that by God's grace, he will help you out of, but you're going to have to walk it through. It's like one man told me after he had given his life to Jesus, he testified one time we were in this small group and he wanted to raise his hand and testify. And everybody knew that he had come from a really rough life. He had been, he had been riotous in his living, to say the least. And, and here was his testimony. You've got to love people that just testify real. Now, we're real people, right? Experiencing real freedom. And here was this realness that as Brother Mark began to testify, he said, I want to thank God for delivering me from a life of sin. I want to thank God for all the way he's brought me through. But I do know this. God forgives, but the bank never forgets. <laughs> and so the choices that we make, we will have to walk out the consequences oftentimes. But by God's grace and by God's mercy, he helps us every step of the way. That's where you and I come in, that we come alongside those in our small group, those in our community of faith, those in our prayer circle, those in our close fellowship, that when they're going through a hard time, maybe it is of their own choosing, maybe it is something that they caused, we come alongside and we walk with them through the struggle, through the persecution. But here's what I want you to know. Being persecuted in this life is not optional. You don't get a choice in it. This will happen. It's not optional whether or not you're persecuted. When you commit to follow Jesus, you enter spiritual battlefields. And the biggest spiritual battlefield is knowing this, that as a Christ follower in this world, you will live the rest of your human experience on enemy-held territory. Now, it's safe in here. They call this a sanctuary. Why? Because in here, we have the great Christianese. You know what Christianese is? It's how we talk to one another. How are you today, brother? I'm blessed and highly favored with the Lord. How are you, sister? Well, I'm just better than I deserve. I'm blessed and highly favored Jesus too. You know, we got the Christianese. We're in the sanctuary, right? But as soon as you walk out of these doors, we, we used to have a sign at our downtown, right as you would walk in the door, it wasn't super encouraging, but it was reality. And it said, you are now entering the mission field. This isn't the mission field. Thank God for you inviting people that, that, that can come and worship and fellowship. But can I tell you that most, if not the majority of salvations, the majority of people saying yes to Jesus doesn't happen in the safe confines of a sanctuary. They happen out in the mission field. And you and I, as Christ followers, being persecuted for righteousness sake, are on enemy-held territory everywhere we walk and everywhere we go. That's why we need to be prayed up and studied up and, and lifted up and encouraged because we never know when we are going to be presented with an opportunity to give someone a reason for our hope. And we season our words with grace and with mercy because we know that at any time we may be called upon by God to be a living testimony, a witness to someone to testify to God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, his redeeming love in this hour of grace, in this moment that God has given us in human history for people to come into a relationship with Jesus. But know what 2 Timothy 3.12 says. The apostle says this, yes, and all, somebody say that with me, all, all means all, all who desire to live godly, 
Now, let me just see it by a show of hands. I don't do this off. Show of hands. How many want to live godly? You want to live godlike. That's just about everybody in the room. If you don't have your hand up, I'm going to come to you later. We got you on camera. I'll meet you in the lobby. The apostle says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's not optional. There is going to be a persecution. The apostle Peter told us this, think it not strange, the fiery trial, which is to try you as some strange thing has happened, but the testing of your faith will produce patience. We think it's strange when we get under attack. We think it's strange when we're, when we're uh, somehow in a battle and in a warfare. Why? We shouldn't think it's strange. 2,000 years ago, the apostles knew what it meant to follow Jesus was it's going to be persecution. It was going to be tough. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't stop there, though, did he? But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You see, this is not a popular message in 21st century Western Christianity. So many people have said yes to the claims of Christianity, but they didn't know anything about walking the walk of Jesus. They've said yes to a better life, to, to more peace. They said yes to happiness and healthiness and wholeness. They've said yes to all of that because on the surface, that is what we all want. But what we've left out is that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will encounter conflict, will have persecution. Jesus said that this is going to be. But the question needs to be asked, where does persecution come from? Because I'll tell you this, not all persecution is created equal. Not all persecution is the same. Where does persecution come from? Well, there are a few ways it comes. The first way that I think that we typically encounter persecution in our lives is through the world. This is the secular and human systems that are established by our culture. We live in the world, but we're not of the world, right? We, we are in the flesh, we're in this world, but we are different because our citizenship is in heaven. And so therefore we are like pilgrims passing through this weary world, this world system. John 16 and 33 says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world system, secularism. This is why it is so vital that we continually have our minds renewed. How does that happen, preacher? By the washing of the water of the word. Listen, if the only time that you digest and ingest the word of God is for the 35 minutes on Sunday morning that someone stands on a stage and preaches, then you are going to soon become dry, plucked up, doubly dead, and spiritually emaciated. None of those things sound very good, do they? But we have to be continually renewing our mind, putting in the right message because we are inundated. We are dominated by all of the world's messaging. Billions and billions of dollars are spent by marketing and advertisers every single year. You cannot get too far away from these doors until you'll see a billboard, a sign, a message, hear something on the radio, see something on the television screen, get something across social media that you were whispering to a friend the night before and an ad pops up. You know what I'm talking about. There are advertising and messages. And Jesus said that this world system and structure is decaying. And we have to all the time renew our minds. See, the world system seems logical. They use logic a lot of times. The world system seems convincing. 
It seems common sense, but faith, our faith can defy logic. God's supernatural ability to break through to our, our spiritual man can go on beyond anything that is common in our lives. So the first area that persecution comes from is the world. The second area is through the enemy. The enemy is the spirit of antichrist in all of its forms. In the first century, they said that the spirit of antichrist was already in work, already at work, especially in the sons of disobedience. We can go back and we can see all throughout history that there have been antichrist spirits that are rising up. That there is this, anything that is against Christ is anti-Christ. And Daniel 7, th- uh, 25 says, He shall speak pompous words of the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and laws. Does that sound familiar to anybody in 2022? Intend to change times and laws. Look at this. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But I want you to go back up to this word persecute. When you look at the Hebrew of this word, this word persecute that Daniel used means to wear out. It doesn't just mean to to put you on trial and to convict you of a crime. He's talking about wearing you down, wearing you out. See, if the enemy cannot get you to quit your faith, he'll just wear you down so much doing good things keeping up the routine, always saying yes to every invitation, he'll get you to the point where you have run out of fuel. It says that he will intend to wear out the saints. In the last days, as they run to and fro, and knowledge is increasing, that he'll wear out the saints. Now, it used to be when when I started driving a car, I look back and and I think, okay, if you don't want to wear out your automobile, and and how many of us, we want them to last a long time, right? They're expensive. We want to last a long time. That when I started driving, you would change your oil every 3,000 miles. Anybody remember that? You change your oil every 3,000 miles. And then later on, I got in the car business and they started building vehicles better. You could change your oil every 5,000 miles. Our service department didn't like that very much because people weren't coming in as often. But you could could wait till a 5,000-mile interval change. Do you know that now with synthetic oils, you don't have to change your oil, but every like 10,000 miles on some of these newer vehicles? It's amazing. They don't wear out as fast because of the materials and the fluids that they're putting through them. And here is the, here is the fear that I have that happens, has happened to our mindset in spirituality and Christian experience is that we have a synthetic version of God that we're just going to sustain on yesterday's manna. We can just stretch this thing out a little while because we have the synthetic. Listen, God is about the authentic, not the synthetic. You need a dose of God every single day. A little dab will not do you. You need the real thing on a consistent basis. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't go through some dry spells. That doesn't mean that there won't be a dry season. That doesn't mean that there will come times and your your prayers will feel like heavens are brass and they're returning back down to you. That is common to all of our Christian experience. But be of good cheer. Say, be of good cheer. But be of good cheer. We don't need the synthetic. We need the authentic. And Satan, the enemy of our souls, the Antichrist spirit, is trying to wear out and wear down the saints. Trying to get us to do more and say more and be more and all the time is more, 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 more. Look at our culture. 
More is better. Bigger is better. More, more, more. But the apostle said that godliness with contentment is great gain. Do we know what it means to be content? That enough is enough. The saints of old knew what it was like to say, you can take this whole world. Just give me Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is enough. Godliness with contentment is great gain. God has written into the DNA of the world that every seven days is a day of rest. It's called a Sabbath rest unto the Lord. For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. If it was good enough for God, it's good enough for us. Rest, a time of rest, a time to sit back and say, you know what? The crops are going to take care of themselves. I've planted the seed. I've watered the seed. Now the sun has to do its work. Once it's under the soil, I cannot do anything else. It's up to God. Rest and let God do his part. So persecution comes from the world. Persecution comes from the enemy. But lastly, persecution comes from friendly fire. Sometimes when we are persecuted, it comes from the most unexpected sources. And this is what catches us off guard. This is what blindsides us in our faith. And many times this shot across the bow of our faith is enough to sink our ship. Notice a shot across the bow doesn't sink a ship, but we think the sound of friendly fire, we think the unexpectedness of this has sunken our ship. Many times persecution comes from family or faith family, your faith community, from a person who names the name of Jesus, maybe in your local fellowship or somewhere else. And this is enough to cause us to wonder, where, where does this come from? Well, if you outshine someone else's light, then they don't like that. And there may be a, a form of jealousy. Also, uh, legalists, will accuse you of being soft on sin or compromise if you keep company or you entertain friendships with people that they don't vote like and agree with. And I want to go back to the scripture and say, where did Jesus frequent when he walked on this earth? Who did Jesus hang with? It said that Jesus was a friend of sinners. If Jesus would have had social media in his day, I think that Jesus would have had more followers on the opposite side of the aisle than he did on the same side of the aisle. Why? Because you can get in a, a circle of groupthink and you can circulate the ideas of everybody that's patting you on the back and agreeing with Listen, if everybody always agrees with you, if you go to every environment, every place, everybody's in the same mindset as you, you may be in a cult. You may want to check some of those friendships and say, I might need someone to challenge me every now and then. I may not be right here, here. You know what? I am so glad that when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to fix all of my wrong theology. Because I got some wrong, okay? There's been some things I've said, yeah, I used to think like that. Now I think like this. Somebody come up to me and say, Pastor, what do you think about this? I say, I'm still thinking about it. I don't know. If theologians haven't been able to solve it in 2,000 years, what makes you think that with one sermon, the preacher knows the answer? He doesn't. But we 
become friends or friendly, acquaintances at least, salt and light, like Jesus was a friend of sinners. Now, legalists will say you, you shouldn't do that. Now, Jesus didn't sin with them, although he went with them. And that's the difference. Let your light shine among men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You shouldn't allow their darkness to get off on you. Let your light be exposing to them. Then there's a moralist. The moralist is the one that will cast stones because you don't keep all the rules that have been prescribed by them or by others. It's friendly fire. Your liberty in Christ may offend them. What they have ability to do and seemingly not feel bad about may offend them. What access they have to certain kingdom privileges may offend them. This is found in John chapter 21. You can see that, that near the end of the, the gospel writer there, that Peter, the father of the modern church, Peter looked to Jesus and he said, hey, Jesus, you, you told me that I'm going to have a tough road. You've told me about some of the persecutions I'm going to have, but what about him? And he was, he was pointing to John. John the beloved. He said, what about John? John had a, a relationship with Jesus. He was the one that, that had laid his head on the bosom of Jesus. He, he was in, in such a, a close fellowship and relationship with Jesus. It was the disciple whom he loved, it says. John the beloved. And Peter is saying, but I know my lot in life. What about him? And you know what Jesus said to, to, to Peter? Basically, he said, mind your own business. Don't worry about him. Worry about you. Don't look across the aisle and see what somebody else has that you don't have. Don't worry about that. Jesus said, I'll take care of you. The things of this life are sufficient enough for themselves. You don't have to worry about anyone else. Don't let friendly fire get involved in persecution. But here's what I do want to say, that when you're persecuted, you are in good company. You're in good company. For when persecuted or mistreated for his sake, you are compared with the most respected of the prophets, the prophets of old who prophesied. You are compared with them. It says that you are in the company of those who have also been castigated and persecuted. Now, you've probably been in company on an occasion where you just couldn't wait to get out of there. You've been in one of those awkward, like, dinner parties, those, those after-wedding uh, kind of, you know, ceremony things where you're sitting there and you don't really know anybody and you're like, I just can't wait to get out of here and get out of this suit. And, oh, just me? I'm the only one that's been like that? Okay, all right, I'm the only one. I've officiated a few like that myself. <laughs> can't wait to get... So we've all, been, <laughs> we've all been in company where we're just not really at home. It's not our crowd. It's not our people. You know, maybe we're there out of obligation or, or we're there because someone invited us to be there, but, but we're in just, it's not, but we've also, all of us at some time or another have been in the presence of company that we don't want to leave. We just want the time to go on. You look down at your watch and say, oh my goodness, it's already 1130 at night. I, I have to go to work tomorrow, but I don't want this time to ever end. Amen. And when you're persecuted, it's like that company of people that they feel like they've been friends all life long, even though you may have only known them a short time. When you're persecuted, you're in good company. You're in the company and the fellowship of the saints of old, of the apostles, and of the host of heavenly witnesses. 
that are round about the throne of God because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now look at what it says. It says that when you suffer for his sake or righteousness sake, that your reward in heaven will be great. What does that mean? What does it mean for great is your reward in heaven? That's what Jesus said. Great is your reward in heaven. Now, heaven is the domain or the abode of God. God lives in heaven. We live on earth. And Jesus said in his model prayer that we should pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that it's entirely possible for us to pray in such a way and live in such a way that we bring glimpses of God's abode and God's domain into our temporal experience. Now, hear me. Heaven's not here. Heaven is like the veil that separates heaven and earth. There's a veil that separates them. But we can have a foretaste of glory divine. When we are persecuted for righteousness sake, we should rejoice because we're in good company and great is our reward in the domain and the abode of God. We have been conditioned, especially in Western Christianity through some of our, our theology and some of our songs and our songs are chalked with theology, good or bad, to believe and to think that the only reward of heavenly bliss or heavenly reward is when we die and go to heaven someday. And that's true, but it's incomplete. It's not altogether complete. We, we, sing, we, we used to sing a song. We don't sing it very often. Just a few more weary days and then, right? Just like this world is all just weary and drudgery and bad. No, listen, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's what we have to do in this earth, right? We have to do that to stay alive. But is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. God's kingdom, God's domain, God's authority, God's rule. Now, I've never heard a, a true born-again believer say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to practice peace. When I get to heaven, I, I want to start pursuing righteousness. When I get to heaven, I'm going to have some joy. No, we want joy. We want peace. And you had better be practicing some right living righteousness here, right? So that is the domain of God. That is the abode of God. There is joy and there is reward when we walk in the principles of God. Now, it's just a deposit. It is the earnest, the down payment on our purchased possession, which is heaven. So we have, as bearers of God, the ability to pray in such a way and to live in such a way that we are breaking through our normal existence, bringing the, the heavenly kingdom to bear in our activity and our actions with others, pointing to the one that is the giver of life, walking in joy, experiencing peace, and then someday we will live in eternity with God forever, with peace and joy and all these things without interruption. See, right now we have momentary joy and it gets interrupted. We can see the, the birth of a, a child, and, which we just had one in our family this week. It's, it's wonderful. You see that, that, that joy, that, that burst of, oh, it's like heavenly bliss. You see that, that, that long desired child you've waited for. And then the mom and dad go home and a week later, they can't get any sleep at night and they don't feel like it's very heavenly, right? You see, it gets interrupted. 
in this earth. And that's why that we have to understand this is a process. It is something we go day by day by day. We get a foretaste of the real thing. I'll close with this. The apostle Paul had this perspective on suffering. Here's what he said, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, being molded and conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain the resurrection of the dead. That I may know him. Listen to Paul. That I may know him. Because when you know him, eternal life is in knowing him. And when you know him, everything else pales in comparison. The suffering, the pain, the tragedy, everything else pales in comparison. He said that I may know him in the power, we want power, of his resurrection. But then he says this, in the fellowship, the yoking together of his suffering. There is some suffering that's going to happen. There are some hard places and hard times that are going to take place in life. There is going to be pain, but we can be of good cheer for we have a more eternal and precious promise that all that we can see on this earth right now is temporary. It's temporal, it's passing away. But we are looking for a city, for a builder of that city whose foundations are not made with hands, but they're eternal in the heavens with heads bowed and no one looking around. The truest freedom that we can experience is not the independence that was declared in 1776 when our nation broke free of the tyranny of Great Britain, although that was wonderful and momentous moment in, in history. The greatest freedom is found in surrender. Hear me, the greatest freedom any human will ever experience is found in surrender, in saying, I have tried by myself to fix my life, to right my course, but I've failed. I cannot fix that which ails me, that which has gone wrong in my life on my own. I need a savior. And so when you surrender your claim to yourself, to the rights of Jesus, then true freedom can be experienced. This is just between you and God. Those watching us online, listening to us on the podcast right now, I want you to take an inventory of your heart. Have you truly surrendered control of your life to Jesus? He died for you and he rose on the third day so that you might have eternal life. And if you say today that you want to experience real freedom, then I want you to pray this prayer after me. Pray it out loud so you can hear it with your own ears. And maybe you've prayed it before, but you'll encourage someone next to you to pray it. It goes like this, dear God, I come to you today just like I am. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I repent of my sin. I say yes to Jesus today. I receive God's free gift of eternal life. I make Jesus my savior and my Lord. And I'll follow you, Jesus, as you show me how. Amen.